Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about a buzzword that's come into our society. It's a buzzword that's also crept into the church, and it's called tolerance. And uh, could also go under the name of ecumenism, where I'm okay, you're okay. We have to tolerate everybody. Yeah, we have churches now that are opening their arms and saying to homosexuals, come on in. You know, we're going to ordain you. We're going to make you pastors in our church. And the fact that the Old Testament says it's an abomination, that was just for the Old Testament. You know, I know Paul said it was an abomination too in the New Testament, but that was just for Paul's time and Paul didn't know what was going to happen. So we want to tolerate, want to have great tolerance, we want to love them. We have uh, the ecumenical movement, which is very close to the same thing as tolerance. We have everybody saying, hey, we have a new Mormon church going up in town here. And I have people will tell you, you know, they're good Christian folks. Let's just welcome them in, open our arms, bring them into our ministerial association. After all, they worship Jesus Christ. Or there's a, boy, just about a year ago, there was a document signed called the ECT 2000. Evangelicals and Catholics together in the year 2000. It was signed by people like Chuck Colson and Bill Bright. Pat Robertson, J.I. Packer, and then equally prestigious people on the Roman Catholic side. And basically it said that we all have the same gospel, and it spelled it out there. And it said, uh, therefore, we should not witness the Catholic people that they are in their own field, and we are in ours, and we're both equally saved in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, you should never witness to a Catholic. I guess I beg the difference with that. You know... This tolerance thing only seems to go one way. Just take the Catholic Church, for instance. Uh, I believe everybody here probably believes you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, because that's what the gospel said. That's the gospel Paul taught. And Paul said, if anyone, you see, even if we or another apostle or an angel from heaven come preaching any other gospel, let them be anathema. And that gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, with this ecumenical movement at the Council of Trent, which was ratified by Vatican II, and nothing has changed down to this very day, over 100 times placed an anathema, a curse of God, upon anyone who says you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, without the sacraments of the Catholic Church. So that ecumenism only seems to go one direction. You know, I hear, I've talked to people and I said, uh, might say something like, can you tell me what the gospel is in, the, in a short sentence or two? And invariably, many will say to me, well, it's love. We just love everybody. God is love and we must love each other. That's not the gospel, folks. That just plain is not the... That is a fruit of the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not what we get saved. And by the way, ecumenism, bringing people into our fold who have a false gospel and a false god is not love. When these Mormons that are opening up their new church here, they're going to come to your door. I can almost guarantee you. They're building a church here. You're going to be flooded with missionaries if you're not already. And they're going to come and they're going to sound so Christian. They're going to sound just, they're going to use the same words you use, the same words that your pastor may use or I may use, but they're going to have entirely different meanings. And we don't have time to get into that. Uh, do we make a tape for the Sunday school class? No. You can get, there's lots of information out there. Believe me, though, they have a different gospel, a different God, and a different Christ. What is that gospel? Let's let Paul say it. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, 
And it's not just plain love. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. So he's declaring the gospel. By which also you are saved. Pretty clear. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Real simple. That is the gospel. Paul said it. If anybody doesn't believe it, you know, your argument's with Paul, not with me. So doctrine does count. I have people say, oh, doctrine divides. We can't have doctrine in the church. Doctrine's a four-letter word. Doctrine's a dirty word. We can't say doctrine. And you know what? I guess from a worldly point of view, it does divide. You know, Paul the Apostle in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18 said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine. Gee, Paul is using a four-letter word there. He said doctrine. That's a bad word. Contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and what? And avoid them. So you bet doctrine divides. And it should divide. Because if somebody has poor doctrine when it comes to salvation, they're outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He goes on. For they that are such, the ones that have contrary doctrine, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So we are to get away from those people with false doctrine. We're not supposed to have tolerance and bring them into our churches. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 to 4, Paul says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables. So if they have a different doctrine, what are they doing? They're teaching a fable. They're teaching fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Boy, how many of you heard that you want to turn on Christian radio, Trinity Broadcasting Network? You want to hear some fables? Listen to Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin and uh, Benny Hinn sometime. Kenneth Copeland says, God's a six-foot man. He lives on another planet. And he has a north, south, east, and west. And he says he's just a little taller than I am and he's made out of flesh and bone. He said, you know, God told me this is a God telling Kenneth Copeland that if I knew as much about the scriptures as Jesus did, I could have been your savior. Does that sound like genealogy? Does that sound like, I mean, fables? You bet it's fables. Anyway, he says, neither give heed to fables and in the genealogies. First Timothy 1, verses 10 and 11. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You hear what Paul's saying there? If they have any other doctrine, what are they? They are liars, they're men-stealers, they're uh, perjured persons. You know, Paul didn't really sound very loving when it came to people teaching false doctrine. You know, this is the tolerance that's creeping in the church. It doesn't matter what you believe, we just have to accept each other for what we are. And from the world's point of view, that makes a certain amount of sense, but obviously not from God's. Paul says, 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. And he says, don't quit. Continue in them. And why should you continue? He says, for in doing so, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So if you're going to continue in sound doctrine, you're going to make it to heaven. And you're going to help everyone else that hears you get to heaven also. First Timothy 5.17 
Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So as your pastor does, uh, I know Jeff, I know he labors in sound doctrine. He deserves twice the honor, double the honor. Be sure to give it to him. Jeff, that's an extra five dollars. How about 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17? You know, you're going to have many people, including Catholics, who say the Bible's not enough. You have to have tradition. You have to have the prophet in, in uh, Salt Lake City for the Mormons. You have to have the authorities in Brooklyn for the Jehovah's Witness, and on and on. But what does Paul say? He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in rightnesses. For what? That the man of God may be perfect, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That pretty well covers everything, doesn't it? So we don't need anything but the scriptures. Sola Scriptura, the great cry of the Reformation. Second Timothy four two four. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. In in season, out of season. That's that's all the time, folks. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You think that's happened today? Boy, just turn on uh, your radio. Look, turn on your television. You know, if you get EWTN, the Catholic channel, turn that on. Turn on TBN. And you're going to hear false doctrine. You're going to hear in day and in out. There's going to be fables. But he goes on. They don't do, they won't endure sound doctrine. After their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be shern, turned unto fables. Once again, it's either sound doctrine or it's fables. Take your choice. Does that sound like Paul was very tolerant? You know, is tolerance a good word? In a lot of ways it is, yeah. You know, ecumenism. I am ecumenical in the sense that anyone who has put their trust in what Christ did at that terrible bloody cross and has passed from death into everlasting life and know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ of the Bible, they're my brother or my sister. I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care whether you're community church, Methodist. I don't care if you're black, you're white, you're yellow. doesn't matter. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. But we must be part of the called out ones. Ecclesia, that's the word for church, just means the called out ones. How do you get called out? By accepting Jesus Christ. And if you don't do that, and if you're not in sound doctrine, we cannot fellowship with these people. We cannot fellowship with the Mormons. We cannot fellowship with the Jehovah's Witnesses. We cannot fellowship with the Oneness Pentecostals. Paul told us. So if you believe Paul, you have to. You know, another thing that comes up a lot of times, we're talking about, you know, the doctrine. And somebody will say, you know, but they're such nice people. You know, we can't witness to them. You know, we're going to hurt their feelings. They're nice people. Yeah, a lot of them are nice people. I have neighbors that are Jehovah's Witness. In fact, they're my favorite neighbors. I'm trying to witness to them. I love them dearly. That's how I see them. But how does God see these people with false teachers and false doctrine? How does God feel about this great ecumenical movement, this great tolerance that's out there? Well, let's take a look. Here's what God says. Jude 1, verses 1 through 4. Jude, this is the half-brother of Jesus, you know, the brother of James, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So he's speaking to Christians here. He's not speaking to outsiders. He says, Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Hear what he's saying? He started to write about salvation, but the Holy Spirit stopped him. 
And he said, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So instead of talking about the gospel, he's talking about contending for the gospel once delivered to the, once delivered to the saints. It can't be restored like so many of these churches tell you. And it says that you should earnestly contend. That's in the imperative case, folks. That's not a suggestion. It's kind of like saying, well, we got the ten suggestions. No, this is a commandment. You should contend for the faith, for the faith once delivered to the saints. He goes on. He says, there are certain men that have crept in unawares. How do they creep in? You know, they creep in because we're tolerant of these people coming in. We allow them to come in. We say, oh, boy, you're, you know, you believe in Jesus, some Jesus. I don't care which one. And I love you. Come on into my church. Get up in my pulpit. Please speak to us. No, 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 no. We're not supposed to do that, folks. He says, contend for the faith, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before God, before of old, ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men that turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Does it sound like Paul was very tolerant? I don't think so. Jude 1, he goes on, 12 through 13. They are spots in your feasts of charity. In our Feast of Charity, we're sitting around eating. And we've invited these people in. He says, there are spots in your Feast of Charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Boy, isn't that some kind of a description? Do you ever see those big, white, beautiful, fluffy clouds up there floating around on a perfect day? They look good, don't they? But there's no water in them. They cannot nourish anything. So that's what he's saying here. They're just beautiful. They look good, but there's no water in them. He says, they're carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars. Boy, there's another description that really grabs me. You know, you've got this big black void out there with nothing in it, and you've got these stars kind of just wandering around aimlessly. I think God really puts out some great description. He says, Who, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? Matthew twenty three fifteen, the Lord speaking, says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. What happens when somebody gets pulled into a cult, or gets pulled into false doctrine or false teaching? They get enthused about it. You know, they go out and they try to bring other people in. You know, they come to your church. You may have somebody here that all of a sudden thinks Mormonism is good. I hope not. But if they do, they get converted to Mormonism. What do they do? They come back to the church where their friends are and try to get more out. That's why, folks, the Mormons are converting 1,500 people every single day, day in and day out. Eighty percent of them are coming out of Christian churches because we're tolerant. We tolerate them. We even let them in certain parts of the country into our ministerial associations. And I know they tried to get up here, didn't they, Jeff? I know they did in Indianapolis. No, good, maybe. <laughs> good sign. How about Acts 20, 28 through 31? Take, this is Paul speaking, and he's getting ready to leave, and he says, Take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. By the way, that's a beautiful verse to tell to a Jehovah's Witness. They don't think that uh, Jesus is God. But here it says, God purchased us with his own blood. Has to be Jesus, he has to be God. For I know this, says Paul, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in amongst you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise. 
How do men rise in our own churches if we're not tolerant of them? We allow them to do it. That's the itching ears that Paul talks about to Timothy. They want to follow fables. We all do. That's why we need the scriptures, why we have to be in it, so we know what true doctrine is. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after him. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So here's Paul. He's leaving. And he knows these false teachers are going to creep in and the people are going to tolerate them. And he's weeping night and day. Not because he's leaving. I'm sure he's sad about that. But because they're going to get false doctrine and come in on Jesus, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Who are the sheep? The Christians are the sheep. We're always called the sheep. Who is the wolf? He's the one that comes in and attacks it. But what's he do? He puts on sheep's clothing. And he goes, bah, bah, I'm part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons. We're Jehovah's Christian witnesses. They want to sound Christian. They sound... One thing about cults, they don't teach all bad stuff. They don't teach all evil. They'll teach nine good things. You know, love your neighbor, take care of your house, you know, feed your friends, etc., etc. Jesus Christ isn't God. So what happens? We call that the Jim Jones cocktail. You all remember Jim Jones? Took a thousand people to Guyana and 980 of them committed suicide. Mothers fed cyanide to their little children and husbands fed their wives cyanide and they killed each other. Why? Because Jim Jones said so. That cocktail was 95% Kool-Aid. Nothing wrong with Kool-Aid. 5% cyanide and it's the cyanide that kills. That's the same thing with doctrine with these false churches. They can tell you a lot of good stuff, but all they got to do is mess up on the gospel or mess up on who God is and you're in hell. Simple as that. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You know, I'm not a shepherd. I've never been a shepherd. I'm not even sure I've ever known a shepherd. But I have read where the wolf, you remember this is the wolf in sheep's clothing, doesn't charge right into that flock of sheep and start eating them and throwing them right and left. He circles that flock looking for the weak sheep. When he finds that weak sheep, he cuts him out of the flock. Then he flips him over on his back and devours him from the soft underbelly while he's still alive. And that's what the cults do. And that's what they're going to do in this town with the Mormon church when they come to town. They're going to go knocking on doors and they're going to be looking for the weak sheep. And the weak sheep is the one that doesn't know his Bible, doesn't know his doctrine. And they're going to cut him out of that pack and he's going to join the Mormon church. And when he does, if he happens to be from your congregation, he's going to be back here trying to get more people to join the Mormon church. Walter Martin said, hey, if we would do for the truth what they do for a lie, Christianity would rule the world. That's never going to happen because Jesus said it wouldn't. How about our friend Peter? We all love Peter. Let's take a look at what Peter said about these people. He says, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Hey, he's talking about false teacher here, false doctrine. They speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that counted pleasure to riot in the day. Spots they are in blemishes. That word blemishes, according to John MacArthur in the Greek, is a scab. That's a pretty descriptive thing of these people. They're scabs. They sport themselves with their own deceiving. They start to believe their own, their own false doctrine. While they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practice and cursed children. Boy, that's pretty descriptive. Do you think God looks 
with great tolerance upon these false teachers? I don't think so. And we have to wake up to that, this ecumenical movement. You know, I have a lot of good Catholic friends and I love them dearly. But if they're following the gospel taught by Rome, they're going to go to hell. And I have to witness to them. That's the same with my Mormon friends and my Jehovah's Witness friends. Someday, I think, I believe, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. At least I hope so. The alternative is a great white throne judgment for non-believers. And Jesus might look at you and say, like he would me, Hey, Dan, do you remember when two Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on your door? You remember that? I said, yeah, Lord, I remember that. Remember what you did? Yeah, Lord, I told them I had my own church and closed the door in their face. That's right, Dan, you didn't witness to them, did you? No, Lord, I didn't. Well, you know, Dan, if you had, maybe, just maybe, they wouldn't be burning in hell right now. Now, I don't think Jesus is going to throw me out of heaven. I believe in eternal security. I don't think he's going to take me out to the woodshed and give me a spanking because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But I think I'm going to feel terrible. And I think sooner or later, the Lord will wipe that tear from my eye. But for a while, I'm going to feel awful. And I think you will, too. Now, I can't speak for you, but I believe... If you, Lord tells you somebody's burning in hell because you didn't witness for them. And, you know, I hear people say, oh, we can't do that. It's not nice. You can't tell people their religion's wrong. You know, it's not nice to wake anybody up at three o'clock in the morning. But if their house was burning down, you'd run right over there at three in the morning, beat on that door, throw rocks up the window, whatever you had to do to get them out of there, wouldn't you? Even though it's not nice to wake people up at three in the morning. Well, I got to tell you, they're going someplace a whole lot hotter than a house fire. So we have to witness to them, folks. We truly and truly do. You know, the cults are... What time do we quit, Jeff? 11.30. Oh, I got six minutes. I thought you said I could go till midnight. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was speaking at a charismatic church one night. And boy, I did get wound up. I, I guess I went an hour and a half or something. And some guy I saw him kind of laying on the ground in the back. And I thought, oh boy, I'm so good. He's been slain in the spirit, I think they call it. He just fallen asleep. <laughs> Let me give you some statistics, okay? When we talk about false religions, false doctrine. There's 5,000 cults in this country. And like Pastor Jeff said, five or six are in this town. I'll bet you there's 30 or 40 in this town. You probably don't know about them. 5,000 of them out there. They're all the only true church. Somebody tells you we're the only true church and God can't help you unless you come to our church. That's a very small God, I'll tell you. You know, there's over 64 million people in this country involved in cults and the occult. And yet, we say, we have to send missionaries overseas. If you're in this country, you're not a missionary. How many countries can give us 64 million people that are lost? You know, that doesn't count Catholicism. Throw those in. No, no, there's lots of people in this country to witness to. 5,000 of them, 64 million people. You know, the Mormons, I think I mentioned already, they put out, uh, they're converting 1,500 people a day. They have... 67,000 full-time missionaries. That was a number I got about six months ago, probably more. And they are going door-to-door with no other aim in mind than to get you out of your church and into their baptismal font to lead you into hell. Now, they don't think that, and they don't believe that, but that's what they're doing. 64,000 of them, 67,000, excuse me. The Jehovah's Witnesses spent over one billion hours last year going door-to-door in order to get people into their kingdom halls. One billion hours. You want to convert that? Any mathematicians here kind of go along with me? Say a 40-hour week for a full-time missionary in a 50-week year, give them a two-week vacation. That's 2,000 hours. Divide that into one billion. That's the equivalent of 500,000 
full-time missionaries out there. You want to put that into a little better perspective. All of Christianity, that's worldwide, not counting Catholicism, we have 62,000 full-time missionaries. 62,000 for everybody versus 567,000 for two cults. You think they're not a threat to the church? You better believe they're a threat to the church. I say to pastors, do you ever have anybody leave your church and join a cult? Oh, no, not my church. Absolutely not. Never happened. I say, well, gee, did you ever have anybody leave? You don't know what happened to them. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. And in fairness to the pastors, you can't keep track. You know, they've got big church, people coming and going. You can't keep track of it. And I understand that. But I would bet, if I were a betting man, statistically, some of those people are sitting in kingdom halls right now. Some of them are sitting in Mormon churches right now. Some of them are over at the United Pentecostal Church. Hey, they're all sucking it out of the church. 75 to 80 percent of all these converts from all these cults are coming out of Christian churches. The Mormons, how many of you have seen their commercials on television? Nobody's seen their commercials? Oh, come on, you know you have. You know, everybody, you know, they spend a million and a half dollars a day on their PR program. That doesn't include those 67,000 missionaries who pay their own way. And you, you ever notice what they do? They got a Bible that comes up there. You know, do you want a free Bible? You can have a free Bible courtesy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with these beautiful commercials made on Madison Avenue. Boy, you'd think they invented the family if you watch those things. Who are they targeting? Any marketing people here? Target marketing? Who is the target when they're giving away a Bible? Christians. They know where their target is. They know who they can suck in. And you order that Bible, free Bible, and guess what? Two little Mormon missionaries knocked on your door. They don't go door to door anymore. They're getting so many people calling in. They don't have time to keep up the Bible orders, and it's working. More and more people are joining. And until the church wakes up and starts talking back and telling people the truth, it's going to continue. I still have two minutes. One more thing I want to do. You know, this tolerance thing, this ecumenism, it's not nice to talk about other people's religion. Let me read you what some of the Mormon prophets and apostles say about Christianity. They're not afraid to come out and attack other people. They're not very tolerant. Here's John Taylor, third prophet of the Mormon church. We talk about Christianity. It is a perfect pack of nonsense. It is a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It is corrupt as hell. And the devil could not invent a better engine to spread his work than the Christianity of the 19th century, which is the same as the Christianity of the 20th and 21st century in the first one. He goes on. Here's another one. This is by Orson Pratt, an apostle of Mormon church. But who in this generation have authority to baptize? None but those who have received authority in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All other churches are entirely destitute of all authority from God, and any person who receives baptism or the Lord's Supper from their hands will highly offend God, for he looks upon them as the most corrupt of all people. Both Catholics and Protestants are nothing less than the whore of Babylon, whom the Lord denounced by the mouth of John the Revelator as having corrupted all the earth by their fornications and wickedness. I could go on. Anybody would like a copy of some of these? Jehovah's Witnesses say the Catholic Church is a whore of Babylon and all Protestants are her illegitimate daughters. There's no tolerance with them and they're growing very rapidly, folks. We have to stop this tolerance. We have to stop this ecumenism. We have to stand up for the doctrine, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple as that. And get behind your pastor, Jeff. He is not afraid to teach true doctrine. And there aren't many out there, so God bless him. And 1140, did I go over?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is a, a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our paths. You have shown us the, the way we should take uh, through, through your scripture. We would pray that uh, you might uh, bring us further along that way. And, and along the way, uh, show us those people who are, are lost in darkness and give us the compassion in our hearts to, to reach out to them with uh, the truth that uh, we have experienced through the gospel of Jesus. For this we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You're tuned in with the Underground Christian Network.